Hello and welcome to this edition of the Equality Commission's Women in STEM podcast. I'm Rebecca McKinney. When you see dramas about surgery and surgeons on TV, it looks glamorous and exciting. From Dr. Kildare in the 1960s to Grey's Anatomy, the drama of operating theatres seems made for television. In reality, surgery is not always so glamorous or dramatic, but it's definitely as exciting. In Dr. Kildare's time, the only female characters were nurses or patients. How times have changed. So much so that not only is the title character of Grey's Anatomy a woman, but three of the five interns in this story are female. So what is it really like to be a woman surgeon? Joining us remotely today to tell us how and why she became a surgeon and give some advice on whether this could be a career for you is Alison McCubrey, General Surgeon with the Northern Health and Social Care Trust. Alison, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. How are you? I'm well, thank you. So we know that you're a general surgeon. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do day to day? Yeah, I'm a consultant general and colorectal surgeon in Causeway Hospital. So that means I I do a, an emergency part of my job where there'd be a lot of, um, you don't know what's coming through the door next and you look after those patients and then my day-to-day work then involves colorectal surgery, so operating on bowels and bottoms mainly. And I have a special interest in pelvic floor disorders, so I look after lady, mainly ladies with incontinence and prolapses and things like that. It's incredibly important what you do, particularly to help women. What age were you and what stage were you at whenever you decided that this was going to be the direction your career was going to go down? So I decided to be a surgeon when I was a third-year medical student, so I would have been 21 and really it stemmed from my third year surgical attachment which I did in the Ulster Hospital and I absolutely loved it partly because the the consultants there were really enthusiastic about their subject and I liked the patient mix and the fact that you could do something very practical to help people and that's where my love of surgery started so from then I was I was set I was going to be a surgeon. So tell me a little bit about subject choices, because lots of people who are going to be listening to this are at A-level stage. So are there any specific subjects that you need to be doing to go down this career path? So generally, um, you need at least three A-levels, three A's. Chemistry is needed, but with at least then one other science or math subject. I did, I actually did four A-levels. I have um, chemistry, biology, maths, and further maths. Okay. That's what I did. Um, and then there's also tests that students need to do now before medical schools, such as um, the UK Clinical Aptitude Test or the Biomedical Admissions Test, which were things that didn't exist when I applied to medical school. So if this is something that you want to do, there are, there are quite a lot of academic hurdles to overcome. How long in total did it take before you get to a stage that you're at now? Five years of medical school. Okay. A year as a houseman and another 12 years of surgical training. So 13 years in total from graduation until becoming a consultant. And has that flown for you? Yes and no. At the time when you're a trainee, it seems like it's never going to end. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. But when you get to the end of it, you're like, oh my goodness, where did this disappear? And actually, I'm 21 years graduated this year and I actually can't believe it. I don't actually know where the last 20 years has gone. And people still tell me I look too young to be a surgeon. I'm sure that happens all the time when you come in to see patients. They're going, oh, you just a wee student. You're not going to be operating on me. I'm sure that happens every day. Not quite a student. I'm not that young. (laughs) (laughs) Take it. Take the compliment. So apart from being able to stand the side of blood, what other personal characteristics do you need for a career as a surgeon? 
I think foremost is weak communication skills, and that goes with any specialty in medicine as well. But you know, it's not just communication with your colleagues, but with the patient, with relatives, with other members of the multidisciplinary team. A degree of manual dexterity always goes a long way. A lot of it can be taught, but certainly that helps. You need an ability to adapt. You're always learning new skills and techniques as things come out. And also, I think as a consultant surgeon, I mean, you are a leader in the team. So you have to have this ability to inspire um, confidence in others, especially when you're in the middle of a difficult case. Teamworking, essential and good emotional resilience and being able to, to help others and look after yourself and other people. So, Alison, I get embarrassed very easily about bodily functions and if I had to deal with bottoms all day long, I don't really know how I would do it. Now, that is part of your daily job. Tell me honestly, are there ever any moments where you're mortified or are you just so used to it all by now, become very blasé? There's very little embarrasses me these days. Um, it's more um, the patients are embarrassed, obviously, when they come to see me, so it's point to put the days. But I mean, I've been doing this for so long now that there's very little upsets me. And my mother tells me I don't know what appropriate dinner conversation is anymore. <laughs> I'm sure you've seen it all. You would think that, but every time I think I've seen it all, something else comes along to surprise me. I suppose that's what keeps every day interesting. Absolutely. No two days are the same in this job. There is a huge amount of responsibility with what you do. Do you ever feel the pressure? Yes. (laughs) I'm sure. It's hard not to. Um, I mean, I see what I do as a great privilege. People trust us at their most vulnerable to look after them, to operate on them, to make them better. And yeah, you tend to think about it afterwards. I do what I'm trained to do. I do my job and I, I look after patients, but sometimes afterwards you're like, oh my goodness. Yeah, that it's it sets in. You talked a yeah. little bit there about having to be emotionally very strong. And in the past, being a consultant surgeon would have meant being a man. So are there any examples of whenever you have to give a patient bad news, how you manage that? And do you think there are advantages to being a female? I think traditionally women are seen as being sort of better communicators, a little bit more empathetic. It's just the way that we are. In that, I think in my team, I'm the only female consultant here out of a team of six. So you do bring that little bit of difference to it. Bringing bad news is something we learn over the years. You learn from your mentors and your trainers before you, but also at my level, if you're dealing with patients who have cancer or given cancer diagnosis, we actually do actually go to... um, like advanced communication skills courses where we're taught how to manage things a little bit better and how to introduce news. It's never easy and it hasn't got any easier in all the times that I've had to do it. But I find that you have to be straight with patients, you know, beating around the bush, but also empathetic. But, you know, we do recognise that it's a very difficult time and that that conversation with us is life-changing for that patient. And we often have the conversation a few times because they don't necessarily remember everything that you told them the first time. Do you find that you take it home with you or are you quite good at switching off when it's the end of shift? I'm not so good at switching off and I don't actually think any of us are. I do think it's admitted a lot. We do take it home with us. We're not robots. And I think people don't appreciate sometimes just quite how much it affects their doctor, their surgeon. It's very hard to switch off, especially when you've had a difficult case or maybe a death or something like that. It's just, you, you're only human and it's, you just have to deal with that. But I have some very good colleagues here and having those somebody to a bit of a sounding board or talking about it afterwards is really helpful and goes a very long way to help managing it because we all experience the same things. Just some of us are more likely to talk about it than others. And we all have in our careers special moments or pivotal moments that we remember. For you, what was it like performing your first surgery and what did you do? 
probably an appendectomy actually because that's generally the first either an appendectomy or an abscess generally the first things that we get to do you can't do too much harm and was was that scary or was it exciting a bit of both I think is fair to say people have asked me like how do you do that how do you cut into people and it will you know they're on the table and you have the little bit draped off and you know that they're not going to feel it but that first bit of putting knife to skin is quite nerve-wracking um yeah it sounds <laughs> and you see it with more junior people you can be quite tentative with the scalpel and not quite getting through what you should so um whereas now you just go for it as a consultant I'm sure with all your experience and what was your first consultant surgery can you remember I can, yes. My first consultant surgery was a laparoscopic right hemicolectomy, which is a fancy way for saying it was a keyhole bowel operation um, to remove the right hand side of somebody's large bowel for a cancer. Again, you do, you stand in the operating theatre and you're like, oh, okay, I'm the boss. All right, let's get going. <laughs> yeah. But you remember that your training's led you to this point and you are capable of doing it. You just have to make that first step. And once you've made the first incision, it's fine. And you go through the steps. You're prepared for that moment. You just have to make that first incision. And once you're doing that, then you're fine. So a few years ago, you were the first female surgeon to post a picture of yourself on Twitter with the hashtag, I look like a surgeon and leave it up. This was a really important way of creating visibility for female surgeons and took a huge amount of courage, I would imagine. Was there a reaction to that at work? Do you know what? There really wasn't. Well, that's good. I'm not too sure how many of my colleagues are on Twitter, to be fair. But then there was a little bit of stuff out in the media as well, and the BBC website and stuff. But actually, there was no particular reaction at that time. I mean, I, I've always found my colleagues very supportive of what I do. And they, they do stick up for me when patients are like, you know, are you sure that girl's a surgeon? And they're like, yeah, no, Miss McCoopy's an excellent surgeon. Yeah, because I have some stats here that really shocked me. So only around 11% of consultant surgeons are women. An article for the BMJ last December said women make up more than half of medical graduates and have done for decades, yet worldwide surgery remains extraordinarily male-dominated. Women are less likely to enter and complete surgical training and their abilities are judged far more harshly than colleagues. So let's talk about your opinion on that. Why do you think that women maybe don't always follow through? Is the career pathway too inflexible? Yeah, so I actually was looking at the very recent stats. So actually, you know, we're up to 13.2% in 2020. Um, and general surgery, which is my specialty, is 17% of women are, are consultants. I mean, when you look at a lot of the, the evidence that's out there, there's still that perception that surgery is male-dominated. Barriers seem to be things like, you know, lack of flexibility in the training and access to less than full-time training and a poor work-life balance and to be honest in this day and age that's actually becoming a concern for both men and women the hours can be quite unsocial the working patterns are are interesting at times another thing I think is that we need more visible role models there is that quote about how you can't be what you can't see yeah and I think you know if, if more women see people like them in that role they see that they can fit into that environment and that it is possible and things are changing that it is slow but actually I see now in our junior trainees coming up like we have six registrars at the moment and four of them are women which when I was training was really unusual like you would you would be the, the sole woman in the unit at registrar level so things really are starting to change it's just very slow to come come through the ranks I think 
Well, that's exactly why we wanted to do this series of podcasts so that if you're listening to school right now and trying to work out what you want to do with your future, that listening to your story and some of the other amazing women that we have interviewed will hopefully inspire younger girls to start this journey into a career like you. Tell me a little bit about working in a male-dominated environment. Have you ever experienced sexism at work? Not from my colleagues. My colleagues are very good to say they do stick up for me. A lot of the stuff you get is unintentional, shall we say. I think there's still that perception that surgeons are male within the general population. So patients still ask me at clinic occasionally, you know, will you be the one that's doing my operation? Or do you not have a man to do that? To get asked that one day. What was your response to that one? I said, no, and my two juniors are females. It's only me. It's a lot of choice. And you do still get, you know, we get GP referrals that come in that's addressed to dear sirs, like there can't be any female surgeons, or I get letters addressed to Mr. McCoubrey. So it's little things like that. You just that that there's still that assumption that surgeons are male. And on the flip side, though, I mean, I do have women who come to my clinic and they're like, oh my goodness, I am so glad to be seeing a woman, especially with some of the more sort of intimate problems that they have. They're they're, they're very um, appreciative of having a woman to talk to. Yeah, I would imagine that that would be a massive relief. Just like I know if it was me, I would be so delighted to be seeing someone like you. So tell me a little bit then about the work-life balance. You mentioned earlier the workload is intense. The working hours can be interesting. So how do you, how do you manage that? Do you ever switch off? I'm better at it now than I used to be. I think during, surgical training is intense and that's, there's no real getting away from that. Um, the hours are long. I work a one in five on call rota for most of my training so which meant you know one night in five I was in the hospital working 24-hour shifts you've got other stuff to do outside of that obviously as a trainee you've got exams you're writing papers did a second degree during my training which is expected of most of us wow. um so it's yeah it's very difficult I certainly as a consultant my work-life balance is much better the hours are a bit more regular I'm not in out of hours just as much but I still, you know, I work a job where I'm still on call one weekend and five and one week and six. So I still have a lot of out of hours commitment as well. But I'm much better about switching off and reading a book or watching a movie. Or I do, I do enjoy a foreign holiday when I'm allowed on a plane. Wouldn't that be lovely? Hopefully we'll all be, be able to get on a plane very soon. Um, and tell me a little bit then about ups and downs of the job. You've mentioned a few things, but if you could tell me the very best and worst things about your job. Seeing somebody get better because of what I've done to them is one of the best things. You're seeing them back at the clinic after they've been so unwell and they've had an operation and maybe had a prolonged hospital stay and then they come back to your clinic and often these people look like a completely different person. And knowing that you had a role in doing that, I find that immensely satisfying. The worst part of the job is still the breaking bad news and the having deaths under your care is very difficult. Um, I'm sure you have to develop a mindset, which means that you can handle situations that are incredibly emotional for patients' families. Is that something that would be a a downside to the job, something that makes your days a little bit harder? Yes, I think that's fair to say. It can be difficult to deal with that. What we have to try to remember is that it's, it's not personal. It's actually not against us. Those people are afraid and worried and we are the person that they're speaking to and are in the firing line, as we would say. 
but most people are very understanding if you can um, explain things well to them and, and what's going on but certainly it can be it can be very difficult for us to deal with that I suppose it's you're dealing with some of the most frightening times in people's lives and mm-hmm. um I'm sure it takes a huge amount of strength for you to work your way through that but does it get easier with experience or is every case very different it gets a little easier it gets easier not to take it personally yeah that comes with experience and having having dealt with it but it doesn't make it easy again so we're all human at the end of the day and we still still have emotions and feelings about these things but but certainly it's easier to see it from their perspective well, you have given us an unbelievable insight to your job. I, I simply don't know how you do it. I'm totally in awe and we could talk to you all afternoon. But I wanted to finish up with a little bit of advice. If you could give advice to any young ladies listening at the start of their university studies, hoping to go down this path that you have been journeying on, what would that advice be? If it's really what you, what you want to do, do it. It will be hard, but hard's not impossible. It can be done. If you're going into medical school, be enthusiastic. We love to teach people who are really interested. It's really, it's really good. It's what, again, that's another rewarding part of the job is actually passing on skills to the next generation of doctors. But it's really important to be yourself. You don't have to be anybody else to be a surgeon. You can just be you. One of my trainers once told me to remember I didn't need to lose my femininity to be a surgeon. Now, current times means that I have to run around the hospital in scrubs and clogs. Generally, I'm the one in the in the little dress and the high heels and the full face makeup. You don't have to be anybody else. And that's probably the most important thing that I would say. And is a career in surgery one that you would recommend to a girl with the right talents? Absolutely. I love it. Most of the time. <laughs> Well, it certainly sounds like you do. Alison, thank you so much for sharing your amazing experiences and insights into the world of the female surgeon. We really appreciate everything you and your colleagues do in our hospitals. It's been a fascinating lesson. I hope you have enjoyed it at home. That's it for this edition of the Equality Commission Women in STEM podcast with me, Rebecca McKinney. Thanks for listening. See you.